In case you need a picture of how different weight cutting used to be in MMA, here's a pretty great example. It's very, right. I'm, I'm already walking around almost at 205, but right. at that time you thought, I, I like the word heavyweight title much better. At, at the Randleman fight, I was under 200 and I was 200 and over. I, I literally had to drink water at the weigh-in to make 203 because otherwise they said it's not going to be a title fight. This just so happened to be one year before the UFC started officially holding their events alongside state athletic commissions, but it does get a bit crazier than that. Here's UFC pioneer Dennis Hallman on Chris Lytle's podcast talking about how things used to be in the old days. The official scale was like a freaking bathroom scale you buy from Walmart for, for $4.99. So we go up to up to the room, it's the day before, and step on the scale, and it's like literally 15 pounds over. It really was, they were trying to cheat, I, I believe this, but they were trying to make it so Tito missed weight, so they, they had the scale all, all adjusted the wrong way. So, for obvious reasons, you're going to be hard-pressed to find many weight misses, period, prior to the year 2000, let alone title fight weight misses. It just wasn't a reputable thing back then. But of course, you know the context and circumstances that sparked this video. Charles Oliveira's disappointing weight cut fell against Justin Gaethje, making him the first defending champ ever to have his title vacated for this specific reason. So I thought it would probably be the right time to take a look a little further here. As we go, you'll see much more about this happening in the opposite direction, as in someone who isn't the champ already, and just how unique this whole situation really is. So let's find out. I'm Jason from MMA On Point, and this is the history of fighters missing weight in UFC title fights. So like I mentioned, the SEG era was a bit sus to say the least. This means we'll be jumping right into the Zufa era, and believe it or not, they made it about four full years without a single issue in title fights. Of course, Zufa purchased the UFC in 2001, and naturally following the tough boom that launched the UFC into the success it's had and built on ever since, they started trying some new ideas. For one, the coaches on the second season weren't even in the same weight class. In this case, Rich Franklin versus Nate Quarry went on without a hitch and one super devastating finish. So in case you're confused, I was the one in the black trunks. <laughs> While Hughes didn't go quite as well, he was supposed to face one of the most underrated talents of that time period, Caro Parisian, but he injured his hamstring so Riggs was tapped to replace Caro. Now, it wouldn't be a shock at all to learn that Riggs would miss weight if you just take a cursory look into his past. I mean, the man literally used to fight all the way up at heavyweight after all, but to his credit, the man never actually missed weight at 170 or any other weight class at that point in time. The problem here was that he literally fought just a month prior against the aforementioned Chris Lytle. So predictably, it was just too much, too soon, missing weight by just over two pounds, and yeah, he would end up losing the fight too. But at least this didn't totally throw a wrench into everything. Hughes won handedly and continued with his career, no divisional problems, etc. Speaking of the ultimate fighter making its way into the title picture, the next title weight miss was due to another season not ending quite right. Again, this show saved the UFC and it totally solved all their problems, so two years and two seasons later, for the Tough Four tournament, they came up with a concept that was a bit both awful and exceptional at the same time. They brought back old names and talents that didn't quite pin out and decided to give them a title shot? By any means, these were not number one contenders in the meritocratic sense. But you know, 
tough saving the worlds and stuff. You'll likely know one half of this story extremely well as the most insane upset of all time happened when the show's welterweight winner Matt Sarah somehow finished GSP. And honestly, this is one of the good things about that season. Seeing an underdog overcome the odds is always entertaining and at the very least inspiring at its best. But then you look at that season's middleweight winner, Travis Luter. To be fair, he's a quality competitor, but as you might guess, this one didn't exactly go to plan. And here, there wasn't any kind of last-minute booking that affected his ability to make weight. He's even said it himself, he thought things were going to be fine. He just didn't make weight. But he ended up losing due to a triangle and strikes following a takedown attempt. It really is an underrated performance, at least for what he did in those first few minutes. But this is where things get a little interesting. For the next seven years, this doesn't happen for another title fight. I don't know how that's possible in this long a span. There were plenty of weight misses from other people in regular non-title affairs, and I really didn't believe this, so I double-checked every single card, including fight nights. It took way too long, but there just isn't one. There is a popular notion, however, that GSP would actually miss weight against Nick Diaz and the Canadian Commission just simply let it slide. In fact, it's pretty well substantiated, actually. Diaz released a video of a commissioner saying they were giving a 0.9 pound allowance. They don't count the it's not exactly a typical practice. Usually it's a full pound for non-title fights, but you don't get that in title fights. Diaz went as far as to say GSP was four pounds over, but then St. Pierre kind of substantiated it. Just 0.4 pounds over. Hey, that's only 0.1 off from what Oliveira had. But make of that what you will. Either way, it's not officially a miss. It's never been actually confirmed, but it's definitely worth mentioning. So then, would the next title weight miss officially be? Well, from that Travis Luter fight in 2007, it wouldn't be all the way until August of 2014 that this problem would occur again in a title fight. This time, it was a bizarre mishap ahead of TJ Dillashaw and Henan Burrell's rematch at UFC 177. You know, the one where Joe Soto filled in. And well, I'll just let Burrell's translator sum it up for you. I was dehydrating in the bathtub. I fainted. I hit my head. I was taken to the hospital. I don't remember anything that happened before or after. I just remember being waking up in the hospital already. It's not often that the fighter doesn't even make it to the scale due to a self-inflicted injury. It was almost more interesting that they chose to interview him as well since he probably wasn't doing too hot at the moment. Basically, it's the Rogan meme before the meme. Sadly, this wouldn't be the last time for Burrell to miss. Over the next few years, we'd see a lot less of this going all the way until December of 2016. The circumstances for this were, to say the least, a bit controversial, but not nearly as much as we'd soon see. Conor McGregor and his defeat of Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight title made him the world's first double champion. While you could say that's technically true, he would never go back down and defend. Actually, he never defended it in the first place and was pretty much immediately stripped after that famous night. And what raised a few eyebrows is that they put a new interim belt up for grabs suddenly just in time for literally the next month's main event. Wait, why interim? Well, Jose Aldo, after his loss to Connor, just as quickly rebounded and won an interim belt himself at UFC 200 in a rematch with Frankie Edgar, while Connor moved up to 155 to challenge Alvarez. Well, actually, it was Nate Diaz, but you know, he got sidetracked. So the UFC promoted Aldo to being undisputed. He wasn't injured, he was basically ready to go and would be booked against the winner of this bout in the following months. 
So basically, they made this interim belt for no reason other than to hopefully sell a few more pay-per-view buys. One of the most pointless belts ever put together. Certainly not the last. So that was to be contested for between Max Holloway and an experimenting Anthony Pettis at 145. Ironically, he did just submit Charles Oliver in his last fight back when he was also at 145, but he would miss weight for this one, meaning only Holloway could actually win the belt. He in fact did, and his legendary career went into its most high-profile stage. All in all, four muddled title fights due to a fighter missing weight since meeting regulation in 2000 really isn't that bad. It's in fact pretty great when you mention it. And so that was the end of 2016, but that's when occurrences started to pick up. A lot. The most cursed fight in MMA history was in the midst of its third booking, with Conor McGregor as the 155-pound champion that was in full pursuit of the then-seeming pipe dream of a Mayweather boxing fight, the division had to move on with its two most obvious contenders. The problem is a familiar one though. Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson just could not seem to make it to fight night whenever they were booked. As I mentioned, this was their third opportunity where Habib mentioned and was filmed eating tiramisu, spawning a meme that Ferguson would then chant at events. It's tiramisu time, motherfuckers! Obviously, this is because Habib failed to make weight for their interim title booking at UFC 209. He never even made it to the scale for this weight cut because it was so severe that he required hospitalization. So this was March 2017, not a great start to the year. But it happens, right? Well, UFC 210 rolled around the next month, and while not technically a miss when stepping on the scales, Daniel Cormier took advantage of the inexperienced New York Athletic Commission and pretty much blatantly cheated after initially missing weight. Although it was pointed out to officials nothing was done, and Cormier was allowed to defend his title. Everything's fine. While Amanda Nunes would cancel at UFC 213 after her weight cut and Ray Borg during fight week both due to illnesses that were deemed unconnected to their weight cut, it's pretty hard to ignore how compromised a fighter's immune system can be in that state. But hey, Nunes actually did make weight to her credit, and Ray... He had the issues all throughout the week, apparently. And the next major mishap would occur when the UFC capitulated and finally started a 125 weight class as fans, fighters, and pundits alike demanded. So they gave the new weight class a season of the Ultimate Fighter to launch his first champion and began holding women's flyweight fights at events. It worked pretty well for 115, so this should work here too, right? Well, not exactly. The two finalists would end up being Sajari Eubanks and... Nico Montano. Many of you already know where this is going. Sajara, on the day of the weigh-ins, managed to fail to make weight. So she was taken off the card and stepped in well-known veteran Roxanne Modafferi to save the day. While Nico would win, at least giving some sort of closure for the show, the problems with the division certainly were not over. But we'll get to that as this chronology unfolds. For now, one of the most infamous string of misses would infect an already deeply wounded middleweight division. After nearly four years, George St. Pierre would make a compelling return 15 pounds up at middleweight to challenge Michael Bisbing for his title. It was an outstanding fight in the end with a beautiful finish to an event that will rarely be matched if ever. But there was a problem with this. GSP's move to middleweight did not go well. He picked up a stomach condition called ulcerative colitis in the process that nearly had him canceling the fight from happening at all. Just a few months prior, Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero had an interim title fight that not unlike Holloway versus Pettis was itself a dubious title created in order to sell 
pay-per-views. It's the one that Nunes fell off that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago with an illness, so I guess they just couldn't let that slide. Whitaker, of course, ended up winning, and by the time they were ready to book GSP versus Whitaker to unify their titles, St. Pierre had vacated his title. Just wasn't the right weight class for him after all. So then how about booking him versus a previous champion like Rockhold? Well, Whitaker ended up getting injured. So they brought back Yoel, who Whitaker had beaten for his interim title for the interim title with Rockhold. That sounds confusing, that's because it definitely is. Whitaker was promoted to undisputed champ. Meanwhile, the winner of this fight would become the new interim champ. Oh, thank God. Hopefully they will sell more pay-per-views now. Of course, it wasn't as simple as that because Yoel would not make weight. This turned out to be quite a problem because he would, well, well, he won. So the interim belt was gone before it was ever given a chance to be awarded. It was a pointless title anyway, so not so bad, I guess, right? Well, that was when Yoel broke the record for missing weight in title fights and immediately turned around and missed weight a couple of months later in his rematch with Robert Whitaker. Fuck. In fairness, the fight turned out to be an all-out war, and win or lose, weight cut or not, it was hard to walk away not seeing them as near equals with chins to back it up. That and it finally set the division back on track with Whitaker being the one who made weight, who earned the defense, and got to take the belt back home. So yeah, flowers, rainbows, sunshine, kumbaya, things are great. But then of course we have our next fighter to miss weight. Where the hell do I even start here? For those who know and experience this event in real time, these three numbers say more than I ever can. Two, two, three. So Habib and Tony make another ill-fated appearance in this video, not this time for a weight miss, but for what spurned an absolutely insane chain of events. While doing media, the most dog-ate-my-homework-sounding accident happened. Tony Ferguson tripped on a media cable at Fox and totally jacked up his knee to where there was no possible way he could compete against Habib. Oh my god, totally insane. But we did get a decent consolation prize. One of the very best impromptu press conferences ever ensued when Max Holloway pulled a gangster move and filled in on short notice. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that before the next part of the story, the perhaps equally insane unraveling of Conor McGregor who threw that famous dolly at the bus and ended up spending a night in jail because of a confrontation Habib had with Conor's close friend and training partner, the GOAT, Artem Lobov. Yeah, had to mention that. So while all of this was going on, literally the next day, all hell broke loose again when the New York Athletic Commission just saw something in Holloway's weight cut that evidently spooked them. He never went to the hospital or got a chance to step on the scale. They just for some reason felt it was too dangerous. Okay, so he's out. For whatever reason, the commission decided that Paul Felder was not ranked high enough, so he was out. Next, it was Anthony Pettis, but he weighed 0.2 pounds over, and he couldn't be bothered to cut the rest unless they coughed up some extra cash. That's when they finally centered on the number 11 ranked Ally Aquinta. But guess what? He didn't make weight either. Jesus. So the UFC just said, fuck it. No, we'll do it live! Fuck it! By the way, Habib didn't care about any of this. He was down to fight anyone. Yeah, he was game. This led to Dana proclaiming an unprecedented declaration. Even though Iaquinta did not make weight, well, I'll just let Dana say it. Because he was 155.2, are you saying that the lightweight title is on the line for either of these guys? It is on the line. All's well and ends well, I guess, though, because Habib won easily and at least temporarily got the division back on track. Something minor, 
teeny tiny happened in his next fight. Oh hey, remember how I said that there would be more to talk about with Nico Montaigne? Well, it turns out she was not having the best year following her title win. She couldn't seem to get a title fight booked and just wasn't ready when the UFC needed her. Meanwhile, one of the best ever future champions had absolutely just mauled her way into the division and got a ref essentially fired and blacklisted in the process. You know the name. Valentina Shevchenko. So naturally, the UFC sought to book these two together and get the division finally rolling almost a year after that super awkward tough finale. But Shevchenko's words proved to be prophetic. Nico, before she will be inside of the octagon, I cannot believe she, that she will do it. As indeed, Montaigne would be hospitalized due to weight cutting complications. She would then be pulled from the fight and take an absolute beating from Dana White and fans, all while stripping her title away without a single defense. But either way, there was no replacement booked, Shevchenko was removed from the card, and the weight class was again thrown into question. The UFC would try to course correct and book Shevchenko against last year's challenger who missed weight, Sajara Eubanks, at the fledgling UFC 230 event that just couldn't seem to find a headliner. To put it simply, no one gave a shit about this fight, and it did not live up to the hype of previous NYC card headliners, so thankfully the UFC managed to find a much better main event, and that entire fight was scrapped where Shevchenko would end up facing without controversy and defeating former strawweight champion Yana Janjacek. What is still notable about UFC 230 though is Shajara did end up staying on the card and yeah, she missed weight. UFC definitely dodged a bullet there. So then moving on to one of the last events before the pandemic, the UFC was also looking to reset their men's flyweight division as Cejudo had moved up to 135. The competitors were Davidson Figueredo who had insane power packed into a flyweight frame and perennial top contender Joseph Benavidez. Unsurprisingly, things did not, in fact, get back on track when Davison actually missed weight ahead of their bout. I was actually there for this one working as media and we were all pretty shocked watching this take place. And then there was the fight. After an accidental headbutt, Figgy lived up to his reputation and absolutely laid into Joe B with a shot so forceful that it pretty much stopped him dead in his tracks. So sure, we'd seen an interim title dissolve before due to missed weight with Yoel and Rockhold, but with Figueredo, this was entirely different. This was not a stopgap title, not just one while the undisputed champ was unavailable. This was it the real belt. And because he didn't make weight, there was no belt for him to win, period. Only Benavidez could, and inevitably they would be rebooked in another match later on the year at the height of the pandemic with Figgy again winning. Thankfully, he did make weight that time. So that leads us all the way to the present day with Oliver and Justin Gaethje. There were other mishaps like Vicente Luque missing weight as backup for 170, and that title, he wasn't officially a part of any fight. It was just a backup. So this is similar to the Figueredo situation, but with the twist. Oliver isn't someone who just fought on Saturday for a title for the first time. He's already been the champion, and now he's been stripped. This has never happened before due to someone missing weight. Whether the scale being off or not is true, it does still show a concerning pattern. This is the fifth time he has missed weight between two weight classes, and after supposedly finding he was off weight early that morning, still missed weight, and then being given the allowance to shave off the 0.5 pounds, and seeing no difference an hour later, 
well, it shows that this could happen with him again. But one thing is also clear, he has defied the odds on many occasions, his finishing numbers are literally the best ever, and he's certainly not quitting in fights like many have said, including Justin Gaethje before this fight. He's the best. It just sucks. So then, in terms of prescribing a solution, the only alternative weight method to gain notoriety in recent years has been hydration tests with one, but there are many doubts about the legitimacy of those weigh-ins, the obvious size difference between fighters switching weight classes, but for the sake of looking into it, let's say we get beyond all of that and it turns out to be an actual real solution. The UFC would literally have to work with commissions in every single state and country to change all of their weight classes in the same way that one has, or at the very least in a very similar way. Or force their fighters to move up. That would mean every champion would be stripped in order to change classes minus basically just heavyweight, which they would probably need to increase the limit of for some of those competitors. Simply put, the world is chaos and there doesn't appear to be a solution in sight. But at least you hopefully understand the problem a bit better now and we can move on to trying to find a solution. Party hard, guys.